Okay, welcome to the first episode of Rebel Knowledge with Bowery Boogie Uncapped podcast. And we have with us today my co-host, Brass. We are interviewing Ree and Scott. All right, so welcome, everybody. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. Okay, I'm here. We're here. So what we're going to do is an interview. And normally, if you guys are familiar with Bowery Boogie and Cap, the interviews are generally done in the written format. We decided to try something different. Um, So we brought together two artists from polar opposites of Manhattan. We're both graffiti writers, and we have a bunch of questions for you guys. Um, So I think I'm going to let Brass kick it off. And go for it, Brass. Right, thank you. I get to go first. Let me uh, direct my first question to both you guys and uh, ask you guys uh, what started your career in graffiti. Yes, Bob. Okay, yeah, I mean, that, that's really simple. I mean, what it was, you know, basically, I would, I would have to give my mom credit for that because she was like the one who was trying to discourage me from, from being involved in it. So by her trying to steer me away from graffiti, it like it brought my attention to it more because she would show me news articles about the first war against graffiti, like in 1971. So what it did was it made me more interested in it, like it raised my consciousness. All of a sudden, I was always seeing graffiti, but all of a sudden I started to pay more attention to it because you know it, it it made the news you know you was you would watch tv and you would hear about it you'd open up the newspaper and hear about it because by 71 that's when it started to like really you know influence society more i mean i wasn't writing obviously i was too young but it still it still got into my head what so it was doing is didn't work <laughs> what happened her reverse psychology didn't work. <laughs> and, and by coming out in the news in such an early 70s, all it, do, all it was doing was annoying the, the transit people. And uh, for us, it was getting even better because uh, we were being uh, glorified. Next when did, so so the, I'm going to ask then, when did you both start writing? And I, I know, um, just to give our listeners some background, Re, you're from the Bronx. Spar, you're from the Lower East Side. Um, what, we'll start with you, Re. When did you start writing? And- I officially started writing. Uh, I was going locally by 72. By 73, I was on my way up. And you were predominantly writing on the trains. Correct? Oh, by 73, 74, I was writing on the train. By 74. Okay. 73, 74, yeah. And what about you, Spar? For me, I would say, uh, I would say initially, I would say 75. It's just like, you know, for a while, I was just like, I was just like mainly a street writer because, you know, I was, I didn't, I didn't really know any writers who were writing on trains when I was like 10 years old. It's just mainly like local streets. It wasn't until later on that I kind of graduated and started to do bigger things. See, but uh, I I had a better hand because I had uh, train riders and bus riders uh, living in in my same block. I and Mike uh, 
was uh, basically doing more motion tags than anything else. And then I had Ray 179, which also did a lot of motion tags on the buses. And uh, I might did the train. So I had two, two great guys to uh, guide, guide me for. Next question. <laughs> you want to give, give the next question? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Well, okay. Um, as in layups, uh, what were your favorite layups? Yes, Paul. I would say uh, the few the few uh, that I did uh, visit. I would say I would say the Bowery uh, Canal. You know, basically local <laughs> places places that were like like here in Manhattan. You know. Places that I never really had to travel to, but initially, the first place I would say that I really went to ever that would that would be Morris Park Esplanade. Nineteen summer nineteen seventy eight. That was my first initial like breakthrough, really. The Bronx, but you know I only went there like once. So and me for from the Lower East Side to to bomb in the Bronx. Yeah, it was just like a one-shot deal at that at that point because, you know, it was the first adventure, and then, you know, from there, I just I just I just kept everything local after that. Me, I started out uh, basically um, after Mike and, and and Ray decided to to slow down. I went and I uh, moved into Broadway with the help of others. So um, I had my uh, hands full doing the one tunnel, doing the one yard. And then uh, when those were a little bit too hot, I went out to uh, Utica, that's out in Brooklyn. And then I had the new lots in Brooklyn. Oh, and then after that, you know, later on when I started uh, Slowing down, I, I moved over to my spot in Bronx. I did the four layup, I did the five layup, I did the two layup, all those in between. So, okay, so you guys were skipping over a monumental event that occurred in the 70s, and that was the blackout. Yeah, 1977 was the blackout. So, right. the blackout. What yes. did that do for you in terms of your graffiti, dare I say, careers? Did it give you momentum because you had the cover of Night literally and day? Or what? Like, how did that affect you, if at all? It, it didn't affect me at all because uh, the day of the blackout, I was in the neighborhood. I was home. I was dating, and, um, you know, when the light started dimming out, everything was uh, get upstairs and uh, keep, uh, keep your hands clean, which didn't help. I ended up going out and uh, vandalizing as much as I could. I went to uh, hit a couple of hardware stores, a couple of liquor stores, and whatever else that was available. What about like you, so for for me, like the blackout, it didn't really affect me. It really affected like my neighborhood. I mean, it was 
Like, you know, I was watching television in my room at the time. Me and my brother were watching TV, and all of a sudden, the picture disappears off the TV, and all of a sudden, all the street lights go out. And we're wondering what's going on, and then we hear the liquor store being broken into, and then, you know, then someone comes around and tells us, oh, there was a blackout. So we just stayed inside because there was, like, so much damage going on in the neighborhood. It wasn't safe. So that that for me was what the blackout was. It was like stay in the apartment, you know, while the neighborhood gets damaged until everything calms down. Everything was ruined the next morning. As you say, in both stories, uh, the liquor store got vandalized. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Were the, I mean, was there, there were, another other monumental event that occurred that you can remember from your childhood that did propel your graffiti? Well, the 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 episode with Son of Sam that was out there also made it a lot easier for us to go paint because the cops were focusing on one particular guy and that gave us more opportunity to go out there and paint. And you weren't scared. Of what? So the son of Sam? Oh no, no, <laughs> no. Starters. No. He was no. basically. He was he was basically, you know, looking at uh, uh lovers' lanes and stuff like that. He wasn't going out and shooting one or two particular people at uh random, you know. He uh, made sure it was uh couples. I recently saw this pseudo documentary about another serial killer named Cropsy who happened to be affiliated with someone at Son of Sam and he was murdering children in Staten Island or in the same time period. So suffice it to say the cops were, were definitely busy, had their hands full. Maybe that's a reason why graffiti took off the way that it did because there were serial killers in New York. Who knows? I mean, to, to me, to me, it really was like it. It was simple, you know. I mean, the city was pretty broke, you know. For whatever reason, the city was broke, and the last thing they wanted to do is like spend all what little money they had in trying to like clean up the trains. Right. So it was more like a thing. The graffiti existed the way that it did in the seventies because. There wasn't really enough money or interest in like crushing it, so that was the ideal time for people to put work in. Yeah, but the Vandal Squad was out there trying to grab as many as many as as they can because uh, they tried with me more than once. Right? Didn't they come to your house at one point? Uh, yes, they did. So, why don't you tell us that story? Well, it uh, what my first year of high school, uh, I was uh, they would take the Hickey and Ski used to go down to one forty nine and take pictures of uh, whoever was there, and once they see you in their pictures more than two or three times, either way they assume that you're a writer. So, <clears throat> so I asked question, who's this guy and who's this guy? And eventually somebody told on me and um, 
They uh, visited my school. After visiting the school, they got uh, the know-how of my uh, my home address. So they went into my house <clears throat> and started harassing my moms about uh, what I was doing out there. The How funny did your mom take that. <laughs> <laughs> my mom. The funny part is that um, my mom doesn't speak English. So uh, I think it was uh, Ski doing all the talking in English, and my mom says, No entiendo, no speak English. <laughs> so Hickey came out and started talking in Spanish. And my mom said, Okay, let me listen to what he has to say. At the same token, my room was very close to the door, and I was listening to whatever they were saying. And I end up telling my mom to get inside and shut the door. Wow. Uh, I said, yeah. And then after that, my mom just totally freaked out. And she uh, went into the room, went into my closet, and started throwing cans out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so you both have brothers that wrote graffiti. Um I know Re, your older brother got you into graffiti. What about you, Spar? Yeah, my, my story was basically the same way. I mean, the thing was, me and my brother were always conscious of the graffiti, you know, because growing up, hearing about it. But my brother was kind of like the one who uh, opened the door and kind of like gave me the opportunity to like get involved. And I was like, yeah, wow, I can finally be involved in this stuff. I don't have to watch it anymore. I can be a part of it. And what does he write? Well, he used to write a uh, deal, uh, CIA, and he used to write Eric Seven Hundred. So that was that. That was his. That was his thing, you know. <coughs> and Ray, what about your brother? Uh, Ray One Seventy Nine. So these guys are from uh, well, one's from the Bronx and one's from the Lower East Side. So right. How many how many times do you guys like well let's say like me being from Brooklyn how many I wouldn't bump into many writers from like from uh like Lower East Side or, or from Manhattan especially when the trains you know you know there was more more graffiti on the trains like that was like your way of getting around how many people in other boroughs did you guys know do you know like a lot of people in other boroughs or me personally I knew people from all the boroughs. You got to understand, uh, there was more than one benches. Everybody keeps claiming uh, 149. There was the the bench in um, <clears throat> Brooklyn Bridge. That was for the six, fours, and fives. There was also Union Square for the four, fives, and six, yeah. two. Right. And so then, those, uh, wait, so for those who don't know what a writer's bench is, can you explain that to to the people? Good, good, Paul. Okay, so what the term bench is, it's lo loosely used. You know, originally the, the term bench came from a literal bench, you know, where people would sit down on, but like a bench meaning any train station where you could like basically watch a certain line over and over again, or, or better yet, if you could watch a bunch of different lines. Right. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. Let's say the TNS bench, that would be 
two different stations. Let's say Broadway and Lafayette and West Forth, because you went to West Forth, you could watch the A, B, C, D, E, and F, you know, just walking up and down those stairs, you know, going. Right, it wasn't was in front of you. Yeah. We had uh, for 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 Broadway writers, we had uh, 168th Street. We had the A on top and the uh, one down in the bottom, but everybody stood downstairs. And then uh, for the Brooklyn writers, we had Atlantic Avenue, which had all the lines there. Then in the Bronx, we had 149th Street. We also had Third Avenue. We also had Tremont in 180th. For, uh, for the E's and F, you had a Union Turnpike where everybody used to sit down and wait, and also the layups were there. So would you guys just all say meet you at the bench? Because I know it's now a thing. For a writer that's passed away, you say see you at the bench. Right, um, right, because uh, eventually uh, <clears throat> he has made it there to the bench. And to me, that's my saying. I'd rather go that direction, see you at the bench. So many benches there was and so many writers that I met along the way it's the same thing. Like, for instance, if I want to go rest in peace, uh, uh, Dime. Dime will be uh, Union Turnpike. Case will be 149th Street. Uh, T-Rex will be Broadway and 168th Street. You understand? These guys, those were their benches. All right. So, Spar, you're style is what I can see heavily influenced by Re. So I thought maybe we could talk a little about hand style um, and how you guys sort of shaped how you write and what you write. Well, for, for me, for me, basically, I went through a lot of different phases of styles, but the, the style that really like appealed to me, that was by, I would have to say by 78 when I really started to like watch trains more on the twos and fives, that would probably be like the TMT TDS style. I mean, right. we were like always watching the ones. I mean, we're talking 78. We're always out there. The ones or we're at the twos and fives and TDS and TMT at that time had the best uh, style pieces in the entire city, so that really influenced the styles that I still do till this day. Okay. <clears throat> what about you, Ray? Uh, by 78, 79, I was out the door, but um, he's absolutely right, TMT, which I am part of, an uh, original member for TMT. Um... We had uh, the most cars, uh, colorful cars, along with TDS. And I'm also TDS, so it's a big bowl of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> so in case people don't know, um, you can go ahead and tell us what those crews stand for and also which crews you are pushing now. And I, I forgot to mention also 
the other crew that was pretty influential, which was also affiliated with TMT and TDS, of course, would have to be TFP. I mean, Case's style really influenced a lot of the things I did. Yeah, but Case Case at that time was basically hanging out with more of the TMT and TDS guys. Yeah, exactly. It seems like... For people who, again, who people who aren't well versed in graffiti, all of these okay. crews overlap okay. each other, right? You guys are all part of crews that someone else is a part of, one's not a part of the other. So it's kind of like a big family. Would you agree with that, or would you say that these crews are more like? I agree with that. But there, there was a certain point that uh, certain TDS, the Death Squad, and certain uh, TMT, the Magnificent Two wasn't in it. I mean, like, Vine and Taiboo wasn't part of TDS, and Bear wasn't part of TMT. You understand? You get certain guys not part of that family. It wasn't because they were distant. It was because that's when it was before it got to merge itself correctly. And Brass, you coming up in Brooklyn, were these crews writing in your neighborhood and if or were there completely separate crews and did you did you have a favorite crew that was from the Bronx and you would specifically go to the Bronx to see those trains or how does that work for you? Well I would see a lot of these crews up um I would take the train a lot since I was young so I would take the train a lot and I would just like focus on the graffiti a lot. My brother was a graffiti writer and a lot of guys in the neighborhood were graffiti writers. So I would see a lot of the crews up. But I, I you know let me just ask a question real quick because this is my thing. Uh, sure. um, to re-inspire, what do you consider yourself? You consider yourself a graffiti writer or graffiti artist? I'm an aerosol artist. <laughs> aerosol artist. I'm on, I'm on board with recess because I'll, I'll give you like a quick story. And this is the way that it went in the be, in the in the beginning, right? We wrote, so our term for ourselves was writers. The right. Graffiti, the graffiti additive that was like. The news, you know, the media, they gave us an extra title, which we didn't make for ourselves. And since they started pushing it on us a lot, it, you know, a lot of us ended up adopting it, but not all right. of us. So what were you calling yourself in 1975? A graffiti, an aerosol artist? Yes. I was, I was a writer back then. Uh-huh. What about just solely a vandal? Well, no, a vandal man, never accepted that. <laughs> and yet we have a whole entire crew called the X Vandals, which we Correct. are also a part of. Right. <laughs> that was just to piss them off. So, guys, let me ask you, guys. Um, if when you were growing up, everyone was inspired, you know, had a big inspiration. Of what crew you want to be down with? What were the crews when you were a kid growing up, right? Graffiti that you like always wanted to be down with, and did you ever get put down with that crew? M- me, I was um, like I said when I first started out, I wasn't too aware of what was going on, and I used to see a lot of tags with with war, W A R, and I'm saying, damn, this guy gets up with everybody. And little that I know, it was a crew. Eventually, I ended up being blessed by that crew. But I was very naive. I said, damn, this guy gets up. 
and it was the crew. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, Re, because yeah. I remember when I was out in the Bronx and we were taking pictures, I remember on one of those handball courts not too far from the Tremont station, you actually did a war piece. Right. Right. That's when I was blessed by them. Is there more to that question? <laughs> oh, no, no, that was it. That was uh, basically, you know, me joining the crew, I, I, I always blessed them with a big top to bottom or not a, a nice, uh, decent piece of, of the crew that I was repping. But I, it got me into a lot of trouble because uh, being in so many crews and me being in so many different locations that um, they used to come up to me and tell me, yo, are you still with us or not? I said, well, you stop writing. I'm not going to continue pushing it. Uh, Cliff 159 by 75. No, yeah. By 75, he was uh, doing less uh, of 3YB. So I did the same. And then Dean came out with BYB. So I did BYB. You understand? If they ask me to rap, I'm going to rap. Could you be a writer without a crew? Yes. Yes. So what was he, the point of being in a crew? In being in a crew meant that you had more people behind you and um, more people to go paint with. Are That's these people that about. had your back? These are people that were lookouts for you? Or was this also because of crew beef? No, no crew beef. It was basically uh, uh, somebody to go paint with. I, I never experienced any crew, crew beef that I know of. I know it was uh, basically wars among crews. That's about it. Next question. But yeah. about you, Spar, do you agree with that? I mean, the topic of beef it usually comes up in graffiti interviews. There's a reason for that. People well, going over each other, people taking each other out. You you want to know what it is? I mean, people going over each other. I mean, from what I've observed and from what I've heard is, and this this was very true in the seventies. I mean, you had people who were very talented, and they got up right, and you had people who were jealous of them. So usually right. these jealous writers, it could be their friends. They're very the people who they think they are their friends. They'll come up with an alias, and you could do a nice burner, right? And they'll cross it out because they're jealous of you because they can't do that. And so that that's the origin of Hot 110, right? The cross out. Hot 110, that's a, 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 a different, a, a, something kind of different. But it, it could be, it could be. It could be one of those things where someone would see a nice burner, and because they were jealous of that person, they would destroy it. In, in, in 1977, they were putting bang, bang over my pieces and also being crossed out. You just been shot by the 44 and stuff like that. Or the, they used to stand on the station and just 
with one can in their hands and just cross everybody out. And that was basically sometimes the cops. If they can't catch you, they'll destroy whatever you did. So, and then, the, you know, then the writers got into it. That's how our, how one gen started. They, they, uh, one guy follows the other guy, and how one ten is on everybody. And like Aspar said, jealousy. See the other. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Spar. I'm sorry. So, so the other thing, the other reason why a cross-out war started to happen towards the mid '70s, it was very simple. Because by after 1975, the MTA basically stopped buffing the train. So as a result, there were a lot of like old pieces left. Newer writers would go over the older pieces, but the older writers were like, these guys are going over our pieces. So some of them would come out of retirement just to go over the people who took out their old pieces, and that would create a war. Well, that's what happened with me. I I, um, I wasn't writing on Broadway no more, and they came up to me and told me, listen, all your stuff on Broadway, they're going over. And I went back to 168, and I waited uh, until I caught up to the guy that was going over me. Can we ask no. who the guy is? Oh, uh, Sack. <laughs> His name was Sack. <laughs> S-S- I remember him, S-A-C. Right. Oh, what happened was um, when I caught him on the bench, he uh, said, whoa, I thought you you know, I thought you wasn't painting no more. I said, I'm not painting this line no more, but that doesn't give me the right to go over me. And he came out and told me, well, they were old and faded. And I said, okay, you still could have read them, right? And he said, well, you know, when you're in the tunnel... I said, don't give me that as an excuse. So eventually, uh, he told me, I will give you pain. And uh, I said, fine, no problem. So we went racking that day, and we scored a pretty good amount of pain, and we decided to go paint inside the tunnel. It wasn't no fighting and arguing. No, it was just, you know, give me cans, and we'll do what we have to do. Where is Sack now? Sack right now, I think he's in a mental hospital. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that turned into... Uh... <laughs> that, that one left? <laughs> no, you know why? Okay, now let me, let me go on towards that. You had your crack, and you also had your... Your... Uh, angel dope. dust. Right, and angel dust that... Uh, it caught up to those uh, certain individuals because of of the era that was going on. Right. Do you feel that uh, graffiti? I mean, it's plagued with a lot of a lot of people who do graffiti too to use a lot of drugs. You know, you know. And um, do you feel that it's the same? You notice the same thing that a lot of graffiti writers seem to be using drugs a lot. Yes. I mean, what it, what it is, it was simple. In the beginning, drugs were used as a mind-altering a mind or a performance-enhancement uh, 
chemical. Right. You got high and all of a sudden it opened up your mind and you were able to come up with these nice designs and colors. But the downside was it, you know, that you also lost your mind off of that stuff too. And plus you're, you're standing on 3,000 volts of electricity under you. So, you know, you got to be extra careful. I used to go in there and thought that I was Superman myself. You know, with my 40s and uh, whatever we wanted to do in there. But I was very, you know, fortunate to walk away from it. It's a tough subject. It's affected everyone. Even, you know, nowadays, constantly people passing away, you know, from addictions they couldn't, they they couldn't win. I no. Guess. And, you know. That addiction, uh, even marijuana, you understand? Uh, today, they, they, they make it, oh, it's recreational. Back in the 70s, it wasn't recreational. So, you know, to, to get high, you had to go get money. You know, we, we didn't have the fortunate uh, parents to say, hey, listen, give me 20 bucks. No, we didn't. So we did what we had to do to make buy. We went and rocked paint and rocked whatever we could just to make a dollar. So if you guys could go back to one night in the heyday, the golden age of graffiti, what night would that be and why? And also, what is your biggest regret as being a graffiti writer or an aerosol artist? I mean, to me, the way I see it is I have I have no regrets. You know, I mean, I didn't succeed as much as I would have wanted to, but at the same time, I wasn't I wasn't an all out failure. I mean, I got to do something, and I got to be a part of it when it really meant something. So I I can't say I regret anything. Is there one night that you could go back to and do again? No, because I I had I had a lot of fun. I can't really pinpoint one thing I would want to go back to because it was like each fun was a different reward. Okay. What about you, Ray? What was the question again? Okay, so there's two. If there's one night that you could go back to and do again because it's one of your greatest memories, what night was that? And then also, what is your biggest regret about being an aerosol artist if you have one? I have no regrets. I mean, I wish I would have put more time to it, but um, I did put in time, so it doesn't make a a big lot because uh, I have fun every time that I went. I can't just pick one day. All I did, all I remember is good memories. All right. Uh, let me ask both of you guys. Um, when do you guys? retire or so-called retire because no one really retires but when did you like stop give that little period of time when you're like you know i'm gonna step away and do something else and then when did you come back into it again i walked away in um 1977 my son was born that year and also um the age limit within you know the aerosol world meaning at the age of 16 it was a misdemeanor at the age of 17 you're getting locked up 
So I did not want to take that chance of uh, getting locked up for something that they say, oh, this is a waste. You're wasting your talent in painting a train. You should put it on a canvas. Okay, I put it on a canvas. It didn't sell. So what does that mean? Continue painting the train. Yeah, because so, yeah, I mean, what I've got to say is basically my kind of like, I, I wouldn't say I ever fully quit. It's more like I distanced myself from it. Like, to me, like, 81, it was like too much of the, you know, the writing, all that stuff. So much of it, like, it was associated with, like, stuff in the streets, like the getting high and all that other stuff. I was like, no, I don't want to be really connected to this. So I just started to get more into physical fitness and healthier things. And I, I don't know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really writing that much. It was like, it was a different, it was a different thing. You know, I was getting, becoming more athletic. So the other stuff, the writing, uh, kind of like, I kind of stepped away from it. I found something more, more healthy to do. Uh, one more question for you. I just got to give you one more. All right, well, it's actually a two-part because I got to know. If your name, okay, take this out because I really like this. A movie, two movies, and a song that stays in your memory from when you were in graffiti. I had um, Trans Europe Express. That was the music that I uh, was listening to. I was also lis listening to rock. Uh, Movie-wise, uh, was this uh, the carry and also um, the Seven Up? Wait, what? The Exorcist, Seven Up, the Exorcist. Oh, <laughs> so we have a closet horror film aficionado. Yeah, <laughs> Spar. Yeah, I would say I would say I mean I I like to listen to all different forms of music because like the seventies you had like three main forms of music you had back then I would say you had soul music, disco, disco, and then you had rock and I listened to all three. You know, sometimes I listen to one more th than the other, but it was like to me I would say the thing that really stuck in my head was like summer of seventy eight. Uh, instant funk got my mind made up. That nice. when I was on when I was at the Intervale Avenue platform watching whole cars pulling, you could still smell the Rustoleum and the epoxy and the Red Devil on those cans. It's like I could still hear the music in my head. I was watching the train, so that that's what really what it was. It's a great memory. Yeah, I remember seeing Re on Soul Train. Oh yeah. Why <laughs> okay? young men single and free. <laughs> Is that a fact? Is that a fact? No. A fact. <laughs> that shit was off the air by the time I was born, but he had a big ass afro. Yeah, I had I had my hair into a giant fro and I also had my hair into a DA. So I went through a lot of changes. And now you're bald. And now I have no hair. <laughs> bald is such a strong word. Let's not use that word here. 
What what word is that? Ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. I started losing my hair at the age of thirty-two, I think it was. So is there's anything that you want people to know about what you're doing right now? What is that? I would say I would say, I mean, basically I'm doing a number of things, but I would say I basic I'm basically gathering history. You know, I'm, I'm digging up parts of the past, like in the seventies, that like that I that I wanted to know more of because I didn't get to live the whole thing. I I experienced a portion of it, but there are other portions of the seventies that I'm like I'm I'm learning more about and just sharing it with people. Okay. Question, please. What was the question again? I'm sorry. What are you doing now that you want people to know about? Oh, now uh, I really don't. Uh, I'm already locked in, pushed over. It doesn't make a difference. I'm just having fun with it. But if people want to buy your art, you have a platform to do that. Yes, if anybody's interested in buying my art, they're welcome to. They um, always had that opportunity. And that is on mtaoriginal.com. Thank you very much. You got it. That sounded really professional. That's like a smooth Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you heard that. And Spar, you work on a website with your brother, right? Yeah, that's at 149street.com. And, you know, it's it's got like a lot of history. It's got links to a lot of different things. That's the way to reach us, you know. But go right with the site. That that, uh, that was the first website that I really started paying attention to. All the other websites, they did not have New York flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I love I that website. It's a great website. Yeah. You sound like a spokesman now. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I he's part it. of Bowery Boogie. So, I mean, we can all collab, but he belongs to BBU, right? Right. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Yo, can we record Reed's voice saying next question is keep it for, for all the time? So we want to go on. Like, next question. Say it, Reed. Say it. Next question, please. There you go. You see that? That's what I'm talking about. We need, we, need, we need to have a button so we can just press it like that. We can get the face. Next question. <laughs> well, hopefully, one day when we can all be together again, COVID free world, we'll do an in person podcast with. Bree's next question and Spar's spot on memory and Brass, your I don't know what I bring to this. <laughs> My weird question. Very Brooklyn accent. I, I got a question for you guys. You guys. You guys. What are you talking about? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So, okay, so Bree's accent, is it from the Bronx? Yeah, yeah. My, I, I grew up in the Bronx. I came to the States in 1967, and uh, I learned my English from school in the streets. So after that, as I got older, or while I was painting, I was moving from borough to borough. But as I got older, I was living in different boroughs. Next question. There you go. Yeah. I was in the party. It was taking a little while. <laughs> Where did you move from? Puerto Rico? 
Yes, I, I no, I I came from Dominican Republic over to um the Bronx. Okay. On November of 1967. Mm. It says it on my passport. Oh, my grandmother's passport. I swear I thought you were Puerto Rican. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm a, I'm a mutt. I'm a big mix. My early days, from the age of one to the age of six, I traveled the Caribbean with my great-great-grandmother. She, um, she was a pirate? She, well, she was a pirate because... Uh, <laughs> She was trying to find a cure for asthma, which I'm asthmatic, and she used to take me to all these different islands to see if they could find a cure for me. Wow. We could have, we could have probably hooked you up, Barry Boogie, and got you uh, a hook for your arm. <laughs> I do love pirates, and I do love the Caribbean. So what, so just cut I, off the am, I am related to a pirate of the Caribbean. Oh, nice. Ooh, yes, I traced that? my ancestry to 1634. He's a pirate, a pirate in Port Royal, Jamaica. Yeah, man. What was his name? Um, this, uh, God, I know his Yiddish name. I don't know what it is in English. I guess it's Solomon, but it was, it was like. Schmulky something. I don't know. He was a converso. He fled Spain and, um, you know, went to the Caribbean uh, during the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, that's for my uh, great. Yeah, my great great grandmother. She left Spain and then ended up in the Dominican Republic. Brass, and he was just born in Brooklyn. Like he grew there, right? Yeah, I just grew here. Just like (laughs) I pollinated through the concrete, just came out. A tree grows in Brooklyn. (laughs) More like a a weed or a dandelion. (laughs) I'm still, I'm still here on the Lower East Side. You know, born and raised here, and this is my neighborhood. Oh, that's where my parents were from. Yes, where they went to. Bowery Boogie, super local Lower East Side, so we appreciate our neighbors. Glad to see you're still holding it down there. Yep, I could tell you a a couple of books worth of stories about this neighborhood, but that's for the future. Yes, I think I will have you do that in the future, my fellow history lover. Do you guys have anything else to add, or we can wrap it up? I don't know. I can't really think of anything else right now. I mean, I... uh, uh, let's let's wait for part two. There you go, <laughs> part two. Reese, wrap it up. The button's button. not working. It's not working. Reese, gotta say wrap it up. Oh, oh, just terminamos ahora mismo. Las próximas novelas comienzan en dos semanas. Por favor. I got. Listen, I got. I got one last thing to to add. I paid the today. I got one last thing to add, right? Okay. I would say when me and my brother were taking pictures and like, you know, writers would hang out then, there were certain snacks that we liked. You know, I used to like go to this um, this bodega on East Tremont and we would get bottles of Coco Rico. Ooh. Right? 
and come back up to the platform to take pictures. It was a hot summer, so we had to rehydrate, and that's what I remember. I thought you were going to break out in song. It was a hot <laughs> summer night. and okay. Oh, don't do it. Don't, don't sing, please. Don't sing. I used to we're, trying have... to get, we're trying to get listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that good old Coco Rico that he's talking about, there's a factory on Sheridan Expressway in 174th. I went in there and I had good old, all that for a good seven to eight months. Oh my God. <laughs> yep, that's how much sugar I took from those. Yeah. Good old cola was also good too. Yeah, good, good old, sugar. Yeah. Okay, so I grew up in the time of quarter waters. Wow. You guys are too old for that. I think. Well, you know, I we know quarter waters, but there was like Sunny Dude. Remember Sun Dude? Something like oh, yeah. famous. A bottle. Okay. Next question. <laughs> we'll save it for part two. I want to thank you guys so much for being on my first episode. Thank you, Brass, for co hosting. Thank you for having joining. me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank, thank you for making it happen. Yeah. Bowery Boogie Uncapped with Rebel Knowledge, and we're signing off until next time. Thank you, guys. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. Until next time. Later, guys. Yeah. Good night. Good night. Good night.